0: Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode two of the Running Industry Podcast.
1: We process in the region of about 40 activities a second being uploaded to Strava. It blows your mind when you think about
0: it. Yep, you know what they say: if it isn't on Strava, it didn't happen. Well, this week we are going to be getting the lowdown from the Vice President of Marketing, Gareth Nettleton. I've got to say a massive thank you to everybody who downloaded the first episode of the Running Industry podcast. We were overwhelmed with the support, the comments, and of course, all the feedback. This is a podcast where we speak to brand owners, startups, marketeers, and creatives, along with key figures and thought leaders from the running industry. We'll be delving deep to find out what makes individuals and companies tick and how they see the future of the industry and the wider running world make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and of course keep following us on social media at run industry and we would be really grateful if you want to support the podcast via our patreon links which are on the website www.runningindustrypodcast.com Now, over the next few weeks, I can tell you we have got some great guests lined up, from coaches to brand owners to movers and shakers within the running industry. So if running is your thing and you want to know a bit more about the industry, keep listening, keep subscribing, and keep spreading the word. So let's crack on with episode two of the Running Industry Podcast, and this week we are talking Strava. Yep, the app you just cannot do without. For the last decade or so, Strava has been helping runners, cyclists and swimmers track and share their activities to the point where it is almost indispensable and has grown to be one of the most popular and most used apps within the sports and fitness industry. Thanks ever so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. So with me today is the Vice President of Marketing at Strava, Gareth Nettleton. Gareth, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to have you along on the Running Industry Podcast. Um, are you keeping fit at the moment over lockdown? Hey,
1: the lack of a commute um, has meant I've been out locally just lots more, both both running and cycling, actually. I, I kind of mix it up. I'm one of those people who I go through stages depending on what goal I have in the distance. Um and we'll focus more on one or the other, but lockdown has been really nice to be, um, I've been getting advantage of these. That's kind of one, the beautiful weather we've had and two, these kind of, these mornings before work, um, uh, more than anything else. I've been out, I've been out in the mornings, was out this morning for a, a, a ride, not, not super long, super far, just, you know, hour or two. Uh, and it's, it's been a real joy actually. And especially in the early days, I don't know about you, but riding on roads with no cars was 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 pretty pretty powerful experience
0: yeah lots of people have reported that back friends of mine and uh and pertinently um quite a few segments were taken um and and developed uh, because of a lack of traffic and so forth but um, You're the executive lead also for Strava Metro, which is a side of the Strava business devoted to harnessing data transport planning, something for the future, which is extremely exciting. I've been on the website metro.strava.com. Have a look at that if you can. Um, We should take it that not everybody knows everything about Strava. Just give us a background as to what Strava does and how it all works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great place to start. While I think lots of Cyclists and runners know who we are. We're very aware that lots don't um, as well. And so it's a definitely a good place to start. Um, how would I sum up Strava and kind of what we do? Um, actually, I think about it almost if you break it down into its component parts, like what, is, what, what, what does Strava do for you as, a, as an athlete, a runner, or, or a cyclist? And for me, I, I always think about it in three ways. We're, we're definitely part of uh, a fitness tracker um, in the most basic sense. Um, that's part of what we do. We're we're definitely part um, social network as well. The community side of Strava is really different, um, and I think is one of the things that um, has made Strava very sticky um, over the years. And then thirdly, going back to the you know what lots of us have had for very many years before we were in kind of the digital age, we're a training log um, as much as anything else as well. So, and I think if you if you put those three things together, um, the, it's it's a good way of encapsulating
0: Strava overall. I've been in the industry for a number of years and seen it grow. And we'll get into all of that later on. We'll see, you know, go through the whole history and so on and so forth. I, I almost see Strava now. It's becoming the Hoover um, analogy, which a lot of people use, you know, kind of, you know, it's, are you on Strava? You know, and, and the jokes and the kind of the kind of the quirky kind of things you see out on social media, you know, if it's not on Strava, it never existed and all this kind of thing. I mean, it's become ingrained in the kind of run, bike, try community, hasn't it? Yeah,
1: very much so. It's um, It's, it's been one of our goals. Right, uh, I think as any any company, any platform, you want to have great reach um, and and serve as many people as you possibly can. And it's it, it, Matt, it's funny to hear you talk about it that way because we've never we've never felt like that, and I don't think we've ever felt um, we've never rested on our laurels that. Um, we were just going to keep growing. Um, there's definitely been markets and countries around the world where we've, we, we grew quicker. And I think you're very much actually influenced by your experience in the UK, which I actually consider our, uh, it's probably what I would call our, it's not our biggest market because the US is just a bigger place and has, we have more athletes there, but it's our, why we call our most mature market. Um, so it's, it's the country where of all the runners and cyclists here in the UK, the vast majority are on Strava now. Um, and so I think you have that, but then we absolutely have other places in the world where we're not as, um, uh, indispensable, um, to athletes there. There's, there's competitors and there's, there's other ways, or there's people just not tracking in, in kind of the same way. So if, if I could make the world into lots of, um, to reflect, the, so they look a lot like the UK, I think we'd we'd really feel really excited about where we're going. And that's what we're seeing. We're starting to see other markets kind of on that same path. Um, but it's definitely something that I think uh, the UK is our model. It's a bit of about bellwether. We often talk about it that way.
0: Sure. And obviously a lot of the activity that goes on in the UK, you know, we are big into running and biking and obviously triathlons or which uh, all, all helps just to, you know, to rewind a little bit, I suppose, Gareth, is um, yourself. Um, you're the VP of marketing, and um, just give us a little bit of a background as to how you actually got into the industry and, obviously, into the Strava business too.
1: Strava's my. Um, I've been with Strava seven years now, so I joined Strava at the end of 2013 when we were uh, we were about three years old uh, at that point. Um, but but my time and my career before that had been spent. Um, in the marketing world, and the digital marketing world, I, I used to work um, uh, at an agency called AKQA, um, and I spent seven years uh, there as well. And the whole time, pretty much, I was I was there. I was working across. I worked on a lot of Nike business, um, so um, and a lot of their first forays into digital services, um, apps, phone apps, that kind of stuff. So, I guess I, I I cut my teeth and I did a lot of my learning. Um on the Nike brand, um, and that remains I think the the one that many of us hold up as probably the best storytellers in the world and and just learned a lot about how do you serve athletes really, really well. Um, how do you motivate them? It's you know, we always used to laugh at Nike and joke about it around we weren't really trying to sell shoes. Um, we were trying to motivate people to get outside and run because if you do that, they need to buy shoes anyway. Um, and and I think that ethos, I'm pretty sure it remains to this day, and I think it was a It was such a good uh, education, if I'm being honest, more than anything else. To then to then be able to come to somewhere like Strava and and start to shape a very new brand. Um, You know, we were obviously vastly different resources and and different setup and different approach, um, and much much more focused business in that sense. But a a lot of the, I think, the underpinning of building great sports brands, there's all the lessons I I kind of brought to Strava. I I brought from spending time uh, with with the Nike people.
0: And at the time, um, were you out in California at that time, or were you working from the UK? Were you satelliting?
1: No, I was. I was based in London, um, but worked with the Nike team. Got worked with the team in London, the team in Amsterdam, um, or in Hilversum, which is where the Nike European headquarters are, and then and then with the team in Portland, which is where Nike World headquarters are, and and over my. God, over my tenure at uh, AKQA, I, I worked with all those groups and worked across kind of every different category. Um, Nike run their business in essentially sports categories. So you have the running team, you have the women's training team, you have the, the football team. And I, I kind of worked across lots of them um, during my time and worked on worked on Nike Nike Plus, um, as it was called then, Nike Plus or Nike Run Club, as it's called now, worked on that. I was part of the team that built Nike Training Club, um, which is the started as a women's... Um, high-intensity training app, uh, essentially. But in the very, you know, God, we've seen these these types of apps really come to fruition during lockdown as people were looking for ways to stay active at home. And, and I was part of the team that built that app in oh, 2011 and 2012 was when we first put that together. And, and it's still going today and still does a very, very good job today. So I, I felt like I got a good grounding in, actually, the different types of athletes that are out there because people are motivated in lots of different ways depending on who they are, where they are, the sports they're into. And Nike is a is a brilliant learning ground for that. Um, you really get to see across the spectrum of of how to motivate people.
0: Nike is obviously you know a, a behemoth when it comes to you know run brands certainly globally and definitely within the running industry. Obviously, are there any kind of similarities in the culture? Say working at Nike or working with Nike and with Strava, you know, two let's say two US forward thinking companies in that way.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's funny. Lots of similarities um, and lots of differences too. Similar in that uh, um, Nike has a will to win that is probably unparalleled uh, in that sense. Um, and I think culturally it was always always about uh, serving athletes really really well uh, and building a brand. But also, it's a big multinational. It, you know, with fingers that stretch across the globe, um, very well-resourced, people everywhere, deep pockets, all that kind of stuff. Strava is, you know, in, its, in our setup, you know, we have 180 people, um, full stop. Uh, it's, compared to Nike, it's it's tiny uh, in comparison to, to that. And I think there's similarities in terms of the same love of sport and the same passion for who we're building Strava for. That's very very similar, and I think has been one of the one of the real things that I think allowed Strava to do really well is actually in the early days we were kind of building for ourselves, if that makes sense. It, like it's such a when you know your customer really really well, um, and and you are building experiences that that you and and your colleagues around you all love. And it motivates you to go and run more and, and ride more. That's a, it's a superpower in the early days because you can find, um, you can build the right stuff. You know, a lot of startups, it's really hard to know exactly what to build. Um, and I think that was one of our superpowers in terms of everybody at Strava, especially in those early days. We were using our product, we were super users of our products from, from day one. And so I believe that, that really helped us. Uh, and I think a lot like Nike was very very similar. It, that company's full of athletes from the very start. It was started by athletes, and I think it re- retains that really athletic culture uh, as well. And so, so that's that's a real similarity. But on the differences side, yeah, just the way we um, the way we approach stuff. We approach stuff very much like a tech company, um, if that makes sense. Um, we're data obsessed. Um, we're data led. We make decisions and we win arguments with each other by using data in terms of we're seeing how how athletes are using our products and where, where, what's working, what's not, and that kind of stuff. That's a, a, a really big difference. We're, we're extremely data-led. Whereas I think Nike is, like lots of big brands this way, it's, it's instinct-led often um, and, uh, and probably less rooted in um, some of the, the metrics that I think we've come to really know now.
0: I suppose in those early days as well at Strava, you were you don't get opportunities to make mistakes, as it were, but you kind of get that opportunity to mould and develop a brand, don't you, as to and adapt to the market. And you know, from Strava's point of view, and so you joined reasonably early in its um, in its growth uh, curve when you first got there. We always think about these kind of uh, these startups, say in that California area of you know of the US, where everyone's hanging around in flip flops and jeans and just kind of like you know brainstorming, etc. Did you find that, or was it, is it is it more of a business focused, data driven company, or is there still that kind of element of one of a better word fun in there as well? I think work
1: has always got to be fun. We spend far too much of our lives working for it not to be if that makes sense. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would say don't believe everything you see in Silicon Valley, the TV show. Um, it's, I think people work extremely hard. Um, I, the biggest cultural difference I felt when I first joined Strava was, was actually around probably more to do with our size more than anything else. I always, whenever working at Nike was really interesting in terms of when we were, when we were shipping apps for them, it was hard. It was hard. It was, you know, there was a lot of the development timelines were often really long. Uh, if that makes sense, I always felt we were we were steering a cruise ship. That's often the way with any big conglomerate. I think is is very hard. There's lots of stakeholders, um, and so if I use that same analogy, if if I felt like we were steering a a cruise ship at, uh, at Nike, I felt like I joined a speedboat where we were extremely nimble. Uh, in terms of how we were doing, we were, we were we were releasing on the web every single day, and releasing our apps every two weeks, and that that kind of blew my mind initially. That notion of that the the pace that what we were the, we were shipping at was very very different, and I think is ultimately is one of the, the huge advantages that startups have, and it's how they can is how these companies can come from you know small ideas, very small teams, to come to. Um, real prominence very quickly is that pace that startups can do that. It's a competitive advantage at that point. It's you know startups are usually you know they can never match the finances and, and the I guess the level of resource that one of these big companies would have, but the, the, the levels of productivity and just more than anything, I think just the the autonomy that you have to give to to individuals in 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 startups, it just it means you can move really really quick. And that was the biggest cultural difference I felt was suddenly I went from. A, a more a layered process of how to get work out the door to one where we could have one meeting, make a decision, move forward. And that was super refreshing and, and just really freeing uh, as well. It was, it was, it felt really, really great.
0: I think there's an element, isn't there, where you've got that creativity and um, that immediacy in making things work that actually in a way it kind of helps creativity, innovation, people's enthusiasm flourish as opposed to stifling it and that's where obviously i can see where your, are you know the early days at strava had that 10 years later 12, 11 years later does that still exist
1: it it definitely does it, it very naturally again in during that time so when i joined i think we had 60 people at strava and um, we're now up to 180 so as I think once you get over, is it a hundred people? There's some kind of rule that says you can't know what everyone else is doing all the time. You get you get to a size where it's too big, and so naturally, I think as we have matured as a company, yeah, you run into those areas where you kind of have to relearn ways of doing stuff and blow stuff up and find new ways of doing it. Um, just because you, again, you can't all be in the same room and make a decision and then move forward. It's you need to you got to work harder at bringing other groups along and um, and just making sure that people are aware and also also trusting each other to be like, hey, Gareth and his team over there, they've got this part of it, let's let them go. Um, you know, and I think that's uh, it's one of those really important parts. And so it's definitely, we've become more, I guess, more kind of uh, mature company-esque in the, the next, in, in the seven years that I've been here. But I still think one of the things we want to maintain is that notion of innovation, the ability to move fast I think is you don't want to lose that competitive advantage. It's the way that you, we can, it's the way we got ahead in the first place. And so let's not, um, let's not lose that. And, and also just an ability to do stuff in a scrappy way. I think it's a big part of startup success as well is, um, people wear many hats and will pick up lots of different tasks and roles. And and it means that they can, you know, get through stuff quicker and get, get stuff to market faster as much as anything else.
0: How have you found in your role as the VP of marketing, how does that kind of interaction work? Because I'm imagining that working with a company where they're asleep when you're awake and you're awake when they're asleep a little bit, there's, there's difficulties in that or do you find it kind of a quite a nice flow in, in the way that you can use technology and help obviously grow and push the brand forward in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So, so actually my role, is, my role is global in nature. Although I'm based in the UK, the, the work that my team does is, um, I have more of my team members in San Francisco uh, than I do here in the UK, for example. So it, it's funny. I think one of the reasons I probably got hired is because I perfected this notion of how to work with a team that's eight hours away from doing it for a number of years between London and Portland um, in my time there. So um, actually, it was an it was something of an adjustment, but actually not too much uh, in that sense. I was the when I started at Strava here, I was the I was the first employee we'd hired in Europe, and so day one, I was like, right, we need to find an office. Like we had nothing. Uh, in that sense, which which was also part of the excitement of joining. If I'm going to be honest, like it was, it was that notion of, hey, I get to come in and do this really exciting role. At, I would say an emerging company, um, and in a merging company, and and in a, with a product that I thought I really believed in it as a as a user of the product um, beforehand. But it was also really exciting to set something up from the, from the off. So, and then I think we I brought a lot of the same lessons that we'd applied to uh, um, having a kind of global team. Um, that that have served as well over that time, and yeah, it's I always always you know joke. I don't rush in the morning because I know I'm still going to be on calls late late into the evening, uh, if that makes sense. And I just and in some ways that's been good. It means you can have, you know you commute at slightly different times when you are commuting to an office that is, and it's just I think you find ways of working. And I'm going to be honest. One of the things I think we're going to see come out of the pandemic is just teams are going to realise actually that actually they can work. You know. In a, in a more perma, permanent remote status, much more naturally than they've probably done before. This morning, I was talking to one of my colleagues and one of the things we were joking about was actually in lots of ways, our team, which is based all over the globe. So we have people here in the UK, but then we have people in France and Germany and Spain, Japan and Brazil. Um, and they're all part of our team. Um, we've been working through Zoom uh, and through... Um, you know, in a, in a remote way for the last six years, uh, if that makes sense. Um, and, and you can still build company culture. You can still um, work together really, really effectively. You just have to change the norms. And actually, I think that'll be, it'll be one of the good things that comes out of what we're currently going through is this notion of people being able to live anywhere in the world, potentially, and still do the job that they really want to do um, without being anchored to it.
0: Sure. And in a way, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you think about a global company that is based, you know, essentially an online, a social um, tracking business where basically I would have thought, I mean, we'll get into some data later on maybe, but uh, you know, there's somebody doing something every second of the day on Strava, right? Oh yeah, There's got to be, there's got to be, you know, so to be able to have people awake and um, looking at that at a time is surely that's an advantage.
1: Yeah, for sure. We process in the region of about forty activities a second. Wow, being uploaded to Strava. Yeah, it's it's it blows your mind when you think about it. Um,
0: Let just stop. Let's just dwell on that. Forty a second.
1: Yeah, forty a second, and it can spike up like you know Sundays. I always joke with our infrastructure team that Sundays Sundays are tough
0: because
1: Sundays are the day when people get their long runs and rides in, and um, we just see spikes across across the globe. But yeah, it's. It's pretty well. So yeah, we're never off. We we have members all over the world. Every country in the world has a Strava activity, um, and there's no reason. So so we have to serve that community all the time, and that does mean getting better at how do you support. You know how do you create customer support when you know you can't just have a team in one place in the world. It doesn't. You know, working one or eight hour shift per day, you have to actually you have to globalize your business to keep up with the demand of where, um, where your members are, um, as much as anything else. So it's been a big part of it.
0: Yeah. So do you have within the Strava team, obviously you have people involved in marketing, in tech, in obviously a lot more than, you know, the technical side of it where it's just literally looking at programming and data. Do you have people who are able to, let's say you're the Strava, one of the apps, experience is an issue. Um, do you have people kind of on on twenty four hours where there's somebody always on call for that?
1: Yeah, we have uh, we have uh, within our engineering team um, we have what we call on call engineers. So if we have a number of things set up, so when we see. A metric change that we measure, and we know it's potentially an indicator of something's not quite right. Um, that all kinds of alarms go off, <laughs> and people get people get paged if they are asleep to wake up and, and check it. Um, yeah, and it's it's funny being um, a team member who's here in Europe Sunday mornings. Um, my you know Sunday mornings UK time means it's probably two or three a.m. in on the West Coast, and I've regularly been on calls over time um, with some team member there who yeah they they've been pinged. By the, by the system and then they're waking up and they're trying to work out what's going on, where are we seeing an issue? Um, are we are we seeing people talk about it on, a, on other forms of social media? Because as soon as we do go down, as, as was proven this last week, lots of people start to talk really, really fast. Um, so yeah, we do. We try and... We know being having a service that, that is reliable and people can trust is... Um, and that part of that means just being always on, essentially, or limiting downtime to such a small percent is so important. Uh, and so, so yeah, if, if something falls over, we have to get it back up really, really fast. Because as you can imagine, yeah, 40 activities a second coming in, you start to create real backlogs of, of, of stuff that's not being synced, um, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I guess the great thing about, you know, your platform and and the brand is that you've got these kind of millions of alarm bell ringers as well out there. You know, it's kind of like, Hey, I've just had an issue with X. I've just had an issue with what. So kind of like, they're almost like beta testing (laughs) as well, which is that must, that must be great to have that kind of, because a lot of people out there are real technical know how is deep with some people, right? They know this stuff.
1: Yeah. We, um, as soon as something happens, as soon as something goes wrong. Um, and we fall over in some way, we know about it very quickly. Um, somebody will let us know whether that's um, tickets into our support team, um, or uh, or whether it's yeah people talking about it on social media. Very, we are we are in the loop. I would say within a matter of minutes um, that something's not quite right.
0: And in terms of your. Um... If we can just talk a little bit about that that data, um, you know, the numbers. Yeah, A lot of people who'll be listening to this will be quite interested in uh, the amount, obviously 40 uploads per second. You know, can you talk us around uh, just a little bit on that, Gareth? You know, numbers of not necessarily, I know that some of this data is obviously sensitive and that, you know, certain brands don't like to release this sort of thing, which is absolutely fine. But can you give us an idea of the kind of growth that you've experienced in that, certainly in the time you've been there, and you know, percentage numbers and how, let's say the trajectory, of the Strava brand.
1: Sure, yeah. So so when I joined Strava, we had I think I think about two and a half million athletes on the platform um, around the world. Actually, the vast majority of those at that point in English speaking markets. So this was this was 2013. And part of part of my role when I came in was to, we were just getting ready to localize so that we were going to be in French and German and brazilian portuguese and japanese and, and all the other, langu- other languages you can imagine we want to support um and then since then our growth has been very steady with spikes around certain things and so as, as of earlier this week we were at about 63 million athletes on strava overall so it's been pretty profound and as you can imagine and the way strava grows um to this day and it, it's remained true is it's your friend telling you about strava Um, it's a, we are a a friend, get friend platform, if that makes sense, because frankly, because Strava is way more fun when your friends are on it. Right. Um, and you're competing with them and motivating each other. And so what we see, and and this has been true in pretty much every country around the world where we flourished is you start to see a, a group kind of come onto Strava, get very interested in it. And then it's almost like a ripple effect. Uh, once, once you start to build up some momentum, it is a flywheel, honestly. Um, and so I probably spent the first oh, four or five years of my tenure at Strava thinking about, well, we've seen this start to happen in, in the UK for sure and in the US as well. How do we make that happen in France and Germany and Japan and all these other emerging markets? Um, and, and, and obviously, if you start to get that flywheel going in, in numerous countries at the same time, you can grow faster and faster. Uh, and that's definitely what we've seen like we have a we have an accelerating growth rate because we're just starting to get to that tipping point um in in a lot of these markets around the world where uh, once you once you get to a certain amount of people on Strava the community bring you know the, the the people we have bring all the people we want to be on Strava and so it's still yeah it's it's accelerating and and twenty twenty no surprises has been you know a real accelerant to that as well this year, just based on exercise probably being more important to people right now um and health and fitness generally than than probably it's ever been um, if i'm if i'm honest so
0: i mean i've see, i've also i 've seen you know grandmas and grandpas on yeah. Strava, you know, in, yeah. in, in the last four or five months. And why not? You know, that's kind of, yeah. surely that's, that's, a, that's a, it's a great way of tracking, you know, fitness tracking and so on and so forth. It's going to become, uh, you know, anyone who keeps an eye on the news will see that the message is coming out of a lot of governments around the world now is that, you know, people's health and fitness is going to have to become a priority if it isn't now you know talking about that growth as well um i suppose it's a good point to just to touch on that you know the last four months covid-19 obviously hit our industry seriously hard um the running industry um whether you're large or small obviously there were some i use my words carefully some winners in the uh, those four, four, or five months in terms of their business, you know, and how it's um how how it affected them with Strava, did you see uh you know a, a large spike in that time and and how 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 have you kind of coped within those four to five months I suppose of um of the, the period of coronavirus?
1: Yeah, good question. So. Yeah, we've been we've been very very lucky, if I'm being honest. Um, the as as lockdowns started to come in, actually, depending on the severity of the lockdown, um, where in markets in countries where um, government advice um, was to. Um, was to remain at home, but but get outside and exercise. So, for example, the lockdown we had in the, here in the UK, where it was it was one of the f- exercises, one of the four permitted reasons that you were allowed to you were allowed to leave your home. Um, what we saw was um, a, a big a big yes yeah, swell in in um, first of all the, the members on Strava already. Exercising more, um, or overall, and then actually, you know, more people coming to Strava and, and joining during that time um, as they they wanted ways to keep themselves sane and, and motivated during kind of what was a really hard time. So, so yeah, and 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 we've seen that in lots of countries around the world. Um, different, the, it manifested differently in different markets. If you look at Spain, for example, or France two countries which had very severe lockdowns. As you can imagine, actually, when they were in the strictest lockdowns, uh, our, our activities were, very, were, were much lower apart from indoor activities. So we saw obviously a huge spike in indoor cycling and rowing and you know, treadmill runs and that kind of stuff. But then what was amazing to see is that and then as those countries unlocked and, and they were, people were allowed outside again, oh, my word, the desire to get on a bike or put, a, put on a pair of running shoes and just go and be free was was unbelievable. Um, and the the bounce back in terms of people, you know, getting their joy from from their sport um, was was absolutely huge. Um, and I think what we're seeing, um, and this is what certainly we hope to see as, as as things continue, is lots of people also found a new habit um, during this time. And for me, that I hope is one of the long term legacies of of something that's been the pandemic has been super hard. But if if we can use it as a a wake-up call for more people to, one, focus on health and fitness overall, but two, to develop these really good habits um, that lead to a healthier lifestyle um, overall, I think that would be a, um, a bit of a silver lining.
0: You're listening to The Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, and guest, Gareth Nettleton from Strava. If you want to support the podcast, you can head over to our Patreon page and pledge some support. Links are in the show notes, and also you can find out a whole lot more about the podcast at our dedicated website, www.runningindustrypodcast.com. For now, though, on with the show, and in the second half, we learn a little bit more about Strava and what the future might hold. You know, the feeling that kind of erupted when, you know, lockdown, I suppose, started to ease in many parts of the world was incredible. I guess that Strava is, we became a real happy place, if that makes sense. You know, that people were posting obviously their runs and rides and swims and so on and so forth. And there must have been a lot of love coming through, you know, in the comments and also just people almost erupting with smiley faces when they were posting something up to Strava.
1: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk about it from my own personal experience, but then definitely from the community experience as well. Like It was um, just generally, I think, whenever I am go out for a run or, or get on my bike to go for a ride, it's probably one of my happiest hours or two hours of the day, without, without doubt anyway. And I think when you have these restrictions on, on what you can do and where you can go, I think that joy just gets amplified, actually. Um, and we definitely did see this in Strava in terms of I think people were... First of all, it was it was good to be outside, and you get all the endorphins that you get from going and doing exercise, anyway, right? But then, but then, layer on that um, the connection and community that Strava has. Uh, I think that was a, a big part in. I just think helping people's mental health actually through the through the certainly the, the strictest lockdown period. You know, any any form of connection, I think, felt good during those times, and so we're very very lucky at Strava in terms of we have this platform that on the whole, it's a tremendously positive place. Um, you know, it's, we, we, it's people kind of egging each other on and um, encouraging each other. Um, you know, we talk about kudos is really important. And I think it gives people that kind of pat on the back that sometimes they really need, especially when things are hard. And so we absolutely did see it in terms of this. We don't have a measure for like, you know, athlete happiness, if that makes sense on the platform. But but if we did, I'm pretty sure that you know lots of people were finding were finding a bit of um, sustenance and relief in their in their first of all in their runs and rides, and then yeah, the interaction that comes kind of post post activity as well. Um, And for me, actually, the biggest validator of that is when our growth does start to really spike up. You know, it's because people are telling people, uh, you know, telling their friends, "Hey, you should be on Strava because you're going to get this great time um, and this great experience from it." So. That's definitely i think the the experience we saw of what athletes were were one going through and then and then two how they were how they were coping
0: another interesting aspect that happened in the i suppose in the middle of the um uh, pandemic and lockdown is that um the kind of paid for subscription model within strava changed it's you know the premium paid for offering um had for a number of years has been there at strava right um but you kind of juggle things around should we say in may 2020 just talk us through that.
1: Yeah, so this was this was a project that um, started actually uh, at the end of last year. Um, November and December was when we were deep in planning planning stages for this, and we set a date of actually April sixteenth, which is when we were going to do this and uh, make this change. And and the the reason and motivation behind it was we've been talking about Strava is you know ten years old, and we have sixty three million athletes on the platform around the world, but. But we've lost money every year of our existence um, up to this point, and so we we took the call at the start of the year, well before COVID nineteen came in, that we had to create um, a self sustaining business. We couldn't uh, rely on um, and stay in a state where we were we were you know losing money every month um, indefinitely. We had to you know any business at some point has to. Be able to support itself um, as much as anything else, and so we took the call to um, make some changes to essentially the the subscription experience on Strava, and and uh, and and basically create a create a experience that we believed and that we still believe absolutely to this day should be good enough that people will pay for it um, overall. Because the alternative is, I'm going to be honest, a path we didn't want to go down. Whereas if 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 our members are not paying us to you know to, to be on Strava then you, you end up going down an advertising route. And, and we just didn't want to do that. Um, we wanted to keep the experience clean and pure and very much focused on one customer. Uh, and, and that's been the beauty of everything we've done in the last, certainly the last six months. It was so focused on how do we just make a great experience for athletes here? And if we do that, let's have faith that more of them will pay.
0: And, and I guess you know, pardon the pun here, but kudos to you for doing that uh, or going down that route. Because I don't know how many of the listeners are, are going to be um, similar to me in that respect. That you know, adverts for me, they can't, they don't ruin an experience. But let's be honest, you know, you click on certain well-known websites and social media platforms, and just bombarded with adverts, and it kind of just starts to grate on you a bit after a while, you know. And yeah, and I do agree that you know, Strava for one, it's the cleanliness. I think the cleanliness of the platform. Whether it's on desktop or whether it's on app has always been great for me. It's you know, very simple, easy to use. And that kind of, you know, the subscription model that going forward, you know, if I can make an analogy as well, it's, you know, it's four pound a month price of a pint. You know, but not many people, uh, maybe not in the UK will understand that, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's a pound a week. Yep. Um, have you seen, um, what kind of pushback or take up, should we say, have you seen by introducing a new model?
1: sure yeah so um hey when we when we first made the announcement um very expectantly uh, we we had a lot of disappointed people uh, on our hands because they you know they've become very accustomed to being able to use a lot of the best parts of strava for free um and so that's a very natural reaction to be um to be frustrated and disappointed I totally get it we we expected nothing different um what was what was really nice i'm gonna be honest and really heartening was for every person who then decided to um kind of um vent that frustration at us we had a we had a community and you know another community member step in and say hey actually for what i get of Strava, i actually think a pound a week is is very good value um overall and you always hope that that might be the case but you can't bank on that and but it it was yeah it was it was so heartening um the 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 general community reaction to to what was a hard change especially at a really difficult time and we understood that you know we we had some really hard conversations with ourselves around should should we go ahead with this at this time um but but if anything i think in some ways we were we had to double down on our strategy because we realized that with COVID nineteen going on, like every business needs to become self-sustaining, especially right now. Yeah, seeing the community kind of come out to bat for us was uh it was it was really thrilling. Um and 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 I think made just made everyone very, very grateful for the community that's that we've built on Strava. because um, generally I think people, you know, people's general understanding was like, okay, yeah, we get it. Uh, as much as anything else, and and I think people do understand what the alternative is, and they don't want the experience to go that way. Um, so it's been yeah it's been hardening
0: yeah and, and I guess also you know it's easy for people to look at something and and as you say, they've expected it for free or they've, they've had it for free for a number of years. There's a lot of businesses out there who are for want of a better word propped up by VP money. VC money rather, where, you know, you could have gone down that route as well. Let's get some more money off investors and build and build and build and build. I fully get it that At some point, you need to kind of, um, you need to make yourself self-sufficient as it were. And and I and I think, you know, my, my feeling within the community, within the running community is, and my feedback of lots and lots and lots of friends who use it is that £4 is, is not bad at all. It's great value for the amount they use it. And of course, we'll always get some people who you know will push back against that and that is absolutely fine you know it's but it's it's great it's heartening to hear that you know it's really worked also at the moment within the um i suppose the current um, situation we find ourselves in the world a lot of people have turned to what i'd call virtual racing virtual running it's really moved at pace in the last few months have you seen the impact of this at strava and do you think that you can kind of embrace enhance in the future e.g you know have strava got any designs on or any ideas on trackers, live timing systems, more towards the kind of race or competition uh, aspect online?
1: So we've definitely seen it and felt it and um, talked to lots of, lots of our existing partners um, about it. Quick example, the, as, as we all know, New York Roadrunners, who um, host and, and put on the New York Marathon every year, which is cancelled in 2020 now, is going fully virtual. Uh, and so you can, and it's on Strava as a virtual race and you can run it anywhere in the world. Um, and you can still get your finishers medal and your t-shirt and, and all of that. And that is one example of a real, from race organizers to, Hey, how can you help us right now? Um, how can you help us put on an experience, um, that, that, you know, that keeps a start line and a finish line somewhat, um, available. Have we ever considered kind of going this way ourselves? Uh, Not on our own. Um, I think we're very much we are a software company. Um, We're definitely not an events company, Um, and so that's why actually I think we have got the right strategy now, which is we don't want to have our own, but we but we absolutely do want to help existing organisers still have some kind of presence this year. Do I think the world is changing overall? I think people still love physical events, um, right? And I and I don't I don't see that changing in the long run. But I do wonder if you know is this just another form of racing? That will, that will probably persist afterwards. I mean, we started to see it even pre-pandemic. The big marathons, especially the marathon majors, they are 10x oversubscribed every year. And so that notion of how do London Marathon and New York Roadrunners and, and the other big ones, how do they try and uh, broaden the people that can take part, um, but in a virtual way? I think that's a, a great potential opportunity for them and for for the athletes in the world and, and a way where I think Strava can definitely help. The intricacies of GPS mean... I don't think we'd ever want to become a timing company per se, but I do think there's, you know, we can be an experienced company for that. You know, a virtual start line and finish line is I think very much in our wheelhouse.
0: And as somebody involved in race organizing, you know, I've seen this element kind of with the group run mentality, the run crews that are going on all over the world, you know, um, every big city and every, you know, trail community are really embracing this. And I think that... You know, with the way that the world is going in terms of travel, in terms of footprint, you know, why not? I, I can see in the future, you know, a whole gang of people social distancing allowing, um, getting together, you know, 10, 15 of them and doing a virtual London. I mean, why not? It's, it's obviously a cheaper way of doing it. It's the easy way of doing it. And as you say, everything that's 10x, 10 times oversubscribed around the world, it makes a lot of sense. And the other things that can benefit from that are these the charities and they can, they can raise even more money. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I fully understand that, but I can see the great big benefits in that. Um, And just on that, I suppose, on the virtual side of things, we've seen a big um, uptick in usage, obviously, in the last four to six months of um, treadmills. And obviously, the growth of Zwift over the last few years in cycling and running to a certain extent now, um, and companies like Peloton obviously growing. So along with GPS or smartwatches, is hardware something that you might be looking into in the future at Strava, or as you've just mentioned, are you a software company and have no real interest in that?
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, one that we get a lot, um, and it—it's funny, Matt. I'd say never say never, right? Um, but it is not in our short-term plan or strategy. And, and the reason I say that is hardware is really hard. <laughs> um, That—that's the if. I think when software companies do try and bridge that gap over to making physical products, you know, it comes out of pixels and becomes atoms. Um, there's just a huge learning curve um, that that we know is there, and and honestly, we we see ourselves. We actually love this this um, position we have right now of being this um, platform, um, and not just a platform for for athletes, but a platform for other companies in in the running and cycling industry to be able to. Kind of execute on top of. At the moment, we're completely agnostic. We talk about ourselves as you know, we're Switzerland uh, in that sense. We we try and work with every device out there, um, and you know, and we give equal kind of prominence to to all device companies and, and that kind of stuff. And if we had our own product, you just it becomes harder. Um, you know, th- just relationships are different and, and that kind of stuff. And honestly, I think we're really, really focused right now on trying to. Um, Continue to create great utility for athletes themselves, but in time, I think we do feel there's a, there's lots more we can do on that partnership side as well, where we become just as useful for you know partner brands to build on that platform. Um, you know, any great platform needs other companies trying to execute on top of it as well. It can't just be the platform itself. And so, in that sense, I think we're more excited to think about. What are all the ways that you know you can partner with Strava, rather than trying to go and build the wall garden where we control the the device plus the platform and, and that kind of stuff? It, it it feels like we'd be limiting ourselves if we did it.
0: So it's a, a more it's definitely a strategy of um, innovate and partner as opposed to compete with these hardware oh, companies. A, a thousand percent, yeah. I think we've definitely got that. So that's a, we'll watch with uh, interest. I suppose a, a slightly um, interesting question in this would be, do you have a view on the fact, you know, when Google bought Fitbit as to how that might develop in the longer term?
1: Um, do I have a view on it? Um, I, I, I think competition is really good. And so I think it's, um, I think it's, Interesting when you know too much consolidation is probably not great if that makes sense. Um, and more than anything else, I think it just stops innovation a little bit. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that in the device market, obviously, I think Garmin is you know the biggest in our world, but they've got great competitors out there who who create great bits of kit um, as well, and I think that's really important just to keep everyone keeps everyone on their toes and keeps everyone moving um, and constantly trying to improve the experience. So, so I, so generally my, my take is um, I like when there's diversity of um, experience for people to go and, you know, how do they go and record and, Get their get their uh, their activities on the Strava. Um, Fitbit's a good partner of ours. We have activities coming in from them all the time. Equally, Google is a good partner of ours as well. You know, obviously we have an Android app. Um, we use their maps in different places. There's, I don't really know the ins and outs of what they intend to do with it. Um, more than anything else, um, I think it's maybe fitness was an area where they, they Google didn't have a huge footprint, and they saw Fitbit as a good way into that that space. Um, but my hope is to be honest, it's again, when you've got one of the big powerhouses, um, stepping into the world, it, again, my hope is it just, you know, is that more, is that more routes to market to create more runners and cyclists, (laughs) um, overall. And, And if that's the case, then kind of that, that would be good for us.
0: Yeah. And anyway, you can, it could just be as simple as they're interested in the technology and they wanted to get the, you know a grasp on that and how that all works. I suppose as well, whilst we're touching on this as well, guys, I know that a lot of people listening will be interested in, um, certainly in the world of tracking at the moment and in um, hardware and software. I wouldn't do my job if I didn't ask you about Garmin. For those that don't know, Garmin had a big outage, um, lasted a few days possible ransomware attack of their platforms and of their um, software how did this affect strava and and do you think i suppose on top of that gareth do you think that these sort of attacks will become more common in the future
1: um uh, how did it affect us so yeah we get a, a a good percentage of our uploads come in from garmin devices um and come directly over from uh, Garmin Connect. So we we knew we yeah, to, to our conversation earlier. We knew immediately that something was up in terms of we well, as soon as we'd stopped receiving uploads from Garmin Connect, we knew something had gone down there, and we and we scrambled the team to look at it, make sure it wasn't anything on our side, um, and that kind of stuff. And we quickly realised it wasn't. Um, how it affected us, uh, we. First of all, we just, we had less um, we had less activities flowing in, but no no diminishing the demand to get those activities in, if that makes sense. So we had to quickly scramble to um, dig out our uh, forums from 2012, which was where essentially all the all the how do you upload when Garmin Connect isn't there, um, and quickly get a get a support article up. Get messaging in our app, just advising people: Hey, you can still get your activity off your Garmin directly into Strava. It's just not as convenient as the the kind of Bluetooth sync um, that is is usually that. So we saw that, and then and then we would yeah just essentially work with Garmin um, to just make sure we kept athletes updated from our side in terms of what we knew. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't know much more than than probably you all did um, overall uh, in terms of what was what was going on their side. Really pleased to see they they came back online quickly. Um, I know it, well, I say quickly; it was a number of days. But I think by the sounds of the severity of of kind of what happened from their their own release that they released um, to get back to fully functioning within a number of days sounds pretty good. Sounds like kind of a good outcome. And and really importantly, I don't think anyone lost activities. That I think that's the thing that really kills people is when you've when you've done it. Like you know the the way it, everything is, is set up. Those activities stayed on their watch or or their or their cycling computer, and as soon as they got back online, they synced through. So, so although they fell over, they fell over gracefully. um, If that makes sense, there wasn't the loss um, overall. Um, And then in the last couple of days, we've seen we cleared, as you can imagine, a. Monster backlog.
0: Did you see a slight uptick in your forty per second uploads?
1: Uh, I'm sure we did. Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what we very intentionally um, and they worked very closely with the team at Garmin to um, throttle the number of uploads just so that we weren't overwhelmed. Uh, we had really close collaboration with them there, and it worked excellently, um, so that it never. What, it wasn't this huge wave that then took us down under the weight of it, uh, essentially. So that was, it was just, again, and I come back to that, the partnership discussion, Garmin are long-term partners of ours, and, and we wanted to help them through this and make sure that ultimately athletes weren't impacted once it did come over. Um, so, so it was a good, it, it, hey, it's a good exercise. And I think what we, what we learn is, and we, we've already been talking about this, is no one's immune. Um, you have to be. You have to be absolutely on top of the security you have in your system um, immediately. Um, and it's a good kind of um, wake-up call for any. I think big tech company that you you've got to be constantly vigilant. This is work that is never done. You've got to stay on top of it and be constantly updating um, all of your systems um, and also all of your advice to employees. Um, Because a big part of it, that's where the unfortunately, that's where often where the weakness is. It's not with the system itself.
0: Yeah, really interesting, and I'm and I'm guessing that you know, Garmin in a way would have been quite. Thankful that Strava were around in having an alternative as well for those people, those users to also up, upload their data um, without using going directly through the Garmin Connect platform. So um, yeah, that, that must have been that must have been a nice, uh, like say, a nice cementing of the relationship, as it were, in in a very difficult situation. Um, you know, if you if you look at the um, the way that the future of tech and the future of social media and the future of, I suppose, sports tracking is going, it's, it looks like it's going in one direction and that is growing, I suppose. How do Strava adapt to this over the next two or three years? And I guess, how do you, you know, plan for two to three years? Because the growth we've seen in the last five years is tremendous. The world is changing quickly. How do you fit into that kind of um, ecosystem?
1: Great, great question, uh, and really hints at like starts to get at product strategy. Actually, um, in terms of where where are we going to take Strava? Where are we going to try and innovate? What new experiences are we going to try and create? And versus which which existing experiences can we continue to develop and just make better um, overall? And I come down to a a bit of a belief that that I have, which is that um, what motivates athletes. Um, to be active, actually isn't is not going to change radically in the next five ten years. Um, in that sense, um, we know you know competition is motivating, for example. Um, and so the the conversations we're having at Strava right now around kind of where we're going is we're actually really thinking about how do we double down and cement and then just make better some of the experiences we have today? Um, sometimes it's simplifying. Sometimes it's taking stuff away, honestly, um, or making something that's buried much more visible to people um, overall. So if we, if we're thinking about the future of Strava and where we're heading and I'm, I can't really get into feature level stuff because we, we actually, sometimes we don't know as well. Like we we're, we're, you know, we only, we only plan so far ahead but we try and have a a vision for where we're headed, um, overall. And we've been doing some work in this area lately, actually. And for me, it, there's probably four component parts to, um, I, I, I would say Strava, but I think you should probably apply this to the fitness, you know, tracking industry, uh, as well. And first of all, and if you imagine if this as a Venn diagram with, with one circle at the middle, which is, um, which is the activity itself, right? If we think we're talking about pillars of the experience, the, the activity, somebody going out, recording a run, ride, or one of the, the other 32 sports you can track on Strava, that's what we, we refer to that as our atomic unit. Um, because actually, without that, there is no Strava. It's the, it is literally the thing that, that binds us together um, overall, and we need to continue doing an excellent job of that. Uh, if that makes sense, so and how do we make that easier, frictionless? Um, it's pretty good now in terms of you think about how you get home from a run or a ride, you you press stop and then. It does flow over pretty sim, you know, seamlessly. But is there any way where that could be easier? In 2012, when we were using cables, we were probably, you know, it was would have been hard to imagine. You just walk in and press a button, and it and then it appears. You know, a minute oh, later. I was there,
0: Gareth. I was there, there in go. 2012. Yeah. There you go. <laughs>
1: um, so if you've got the, the activity at the centre, I think there's then three concentric circles around that that we think really apply to Strava. Um, and then the first one of those is, and I think this has been one of our superpowers. Um, it's, it's, it's community. It's how do we connect athletes to, to people that keep them motivated? Um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that for me has been part of our secret source of, um, we were the only fitness platform that doubled down on community very early on, um, uh, you know, connecting you to others and your friends and that kind of stuff. And I, it, we, we always talked about Strava was good in single player mode, but it was really important to get people into multiplayer mode. Um, and for me that remains so the key, um, we often talk about, um, the technology itself is not motivating it's, and it doesn't, you know, the technology itself doesn't get you out the door. Um, it athletes, you know, it's people keep people active. If that makes sense, you're far more likely. We know this just from, you know, the old adage of a training partner will make sure you get out for that, that 6am run in the rain. Right. Um, which if you were on your own, you probably wouldn't do it. Um, and so community is absolutely core to, I think, where we're going. The second one, and we've touched on this a little bit, is competition. Um, finish lines motivate people. Um, and when I say finish lines, I think of that in the broadest sense of the term. I think of Strava segments, Strava challenges, um, races. Um, there's always an event within reach, if that makes sense. Um, we've seen in, during lockdown the rise of like, people taking on FKTs. Yeah. Um, like it's just become the way because people have this innate desire to compete, um, still. So, uh, and then the third area, the third one we look at is, is actually places. Um, so every activity happens somewhere, right? We have 3 billion activities on Strava. Um, and they're a great blueprint for discovery, exploration, fueling adventure. Um, and, and we always say that you could build a company in any one of those three Areas, um, but the magic really happens is when, when if you can build an experience that somehow layers their layers those things over the top of each other, that's for me where the magic can really start to happen because it's it's where if you can, you know, a segment would be nowhere near as exciting if you didn't know the time that your friend had run it in and you didn't know it was oh, and it's this hill like you know that's kind of famous locally and, and that kind of stuff. So if we can build and develop and continue developing Strava with those three things in mind and really importantly develop at the intersection of all of those. I think that for me is where I start to get excited about the experience we can create.
0: Sure. So it's, it's, it's about the enhancement of experience for the user as a vision. Ultimately.
1: I I don't think it's about trying to fundamentally change behavior. Um, I don't think we see Strava as, um, We've always talked about Strava as like we're the gasoline on the fire, if that makes sense. We're not we're not the spark. Um, the spark is actually people and, and uh, innate motivation. But then you know motivation of other people. But then if we can get people into the habit of running or cycling, we Strava is can act like gasoline. It can get people it can get people really into it really quickly um, because it allows them to find community.
0: Yeah, and you're sitting alongside the person, aren't you? As opposed to leading the way, you know, you're kind of going, "We're we're with you." Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we talk about being a, a you know a, the tailwind at their backs. That's that's the role we want to play.
0: That's a nice finishing tailwind at their backs. I I, I haven't asked. Has Strava got a strap line?
1: Uh, do you know what? We've had a few over the years. Um, we, we, we haven't got a just do it that we always come back to. Uh, we Yeah. I don't know why not. Maybe we should.
0: As VP of marketing, it will be on your table at there some you point. Go. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. You yeah. Go. Gareth, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, hopefully, we've covered some really interesting ground um, in terms of Strava. From my point of view, keep doing what you're doing because I'm a fan I know there's lots of stuff going on um, in the background as well that makes these things happen, but um, you're, you're doing a great job. So thank you for that. From the Running Industry Podcast, we're very grateful. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. Pleasure to be
0: here. So there we have it for episode two of the Running Industry Podcast. Really grateful to Gareth for giving up his time today and talking a little bit more about Strava, one of the most exciting brands in the running industry for sure. And let's hope it's a positive time going forward and we can all get out there and track our sports, whatever we are doing. i will be really grateful for any feedback on how you think we can improve the show. And if you like what you've heard and to get our latest shows as they are released, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, of course, at Run Industry and via our website, runningindustrypodcast.com. I'm Matt Ward, and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.